Forward and Prologue of The Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Forward. Critic on the hearth. No one but myself knows what I have suffered, nor what my books have gained, by your unsleeping watchfulness and admirable pertinacity. And now here is a volume that goes into the world and lacks your imprimatur. A strange thing in our joint lives, and the reason of it stranger still. I have watched with interest, with pain, and at length with amusement, your unavailing attempts to peruse the black arrow and I think I should lack humour indeed if I let the occasion slip and did not place your name in the fly-leaf of the only book of mine that you have never read and never will read. That others may display more constancy is still my hope. The tale was written years ago for a particular audience, and, I may say, in rivalry with a particular author. I think I should do well to name him Mr. Alfred R. Phillips, it was not without its reward at the time. I could not, indeed, displace Mr. Phillips from his well-won priority, but in the eyes of readers who thought less than nothing of Treasure Island, the Black Arrow was supposed to mark a clear advance. Those who read volumes and those who read story-papers belong to different worlds. The verdict on Treasure Island was reversed in the other court. I wonder, will it be the same with its successor? Robert Louis Stevenson, at Saranac Lake, April 8, 1888. Prologue. John Amendall. On a certain afternoon, in the late springtime, the bell upon Tunstall Moat House was heard ringing at an unaccustomed hour. Far and near, in the forest and in the fields along the river, people began to desert their labours and hurry towards the sound and in Tunstall Hamlet a group of poor country folk stood wondering at the summons. Tunstall Hamlet at that period, in the reign of old King Henry the Sixth, wore much the same appearance as it wears to-day. A score or so of houses, heavily framed with oak, stood scattered in a long green valley ascending from the river. At the foot the road crossed a bridge, and mounting on the other side, disappeared into the fringes of the forest on its way to the moat-house, and further forth to Holywood Abbey. Halfway up the village, the church stood among yews. On every side the slopes were crowned and the view bounded by the green elms and greening oak-trees of the forest. Hard by the bridge there was a stone cross upon a knoll, and here the group had collected, half a dozen women and one tall fellow in a russet smock, discussing what the bell betided. An express had gone through the hamlet half an hour before, and drunk a pot of ale in the saddle, not daring to dismount for the hurry of his errand, but he had been ignorant himself of what was forward, and only bore sealed letters from Sir Daniel Brackley to Sir Oliver Oates, the parson, who kept the moat-house in the master's absence. But now there was the noise of a horse, and soon, out of the edge of the wood and over the echoing bridge, 
there rode up young master Richard Shelton, Sir Daniel's ward. He at the least would know, and they hailed him and begged him to explain. He drew bridle willingly enough, a young fellow not yet eighteen, sun-browned and grey-eyed, in a jacket of deer's leather, with a black velvet collar, a green hood upon his head, and a steel crossbow at his back. The express, it appeared, had brought great news. A battle was impending. Sir Daniel had sent for every man that could draw a bow or carry a bill to go post-haste to Ketley, under pain of his severe displeasure. But for whom they were to fight, or of where the battle was expected, Dick knew nothing. Sir Oliver would come shortly himself, and Bennet Hatch was arming at that moment, for he it was who should lead the party. "'It is the ruin of this kind land,' a woman said. "'If the barons live at war, plough-folk must eat roots.' "'Nay,' said Dick, "'every man that follows shall have sixpence a day, and archers twelve. "'If they live,' returned the woman, "'that may very well be. "'But how if they die, my master?' "'They cannot better die than for their natural lord,' said Dick." "'No natural lord of mine,' said the man in the smock. "'I followed the Walsinghams, so we all did down Briarly Way, till two years ago come Candlemas. And now I must side with Brackley. It was the law that did it. Call ye that natural? But now, what with Sir Daniel and what with Sir Oliver, that knows more of law than honesty—' I have no natural lord but poor King Harry the Sixth, God bless him, the poor innocent that cannot tell his right hand from his left. "'You speak with an ill tongue, friend,' answered Dick, to miscall your good master and my lord the king in the same libel. But King Harry, praise be the saints, has come again into his right mind, and will have all things peaceably ordained. And as for Sir Daniel—' You are very brave behind his back. But I will be no tale-bearer, and let that suffice. "'I say no harm of you, Master Richard,' returned the peasant. "'You are a lad, but when you come to a man's inches, you will find you have an empty pocket. I say no more. The saints help Sir Daniel's neighbours, and the blessed maid protect his wards.' "'Clipsby,' said Richard, you speak what I cannot hear with honour. Sir Daniel is my good master, and my guardian. "'Come now, will you read me a riddle?' returned Clipsby. "'On whose side is Sir Daniel?' "'I know not,' said Dick, colouring a little, for his guardian had changed sides continually in the troubles of that period, and every change had brought him some increase of fortune. "'Aye,' returned Clipsby, you nor no man, for, indeed, he is one that goes to bed Lancaster and gets up York. Just then the bridge rang under horseshoe iron, and the party turned and saw Bennet Hatch come galloping, a brown-faced, grizzled fellow, heavy of hand and grim of mien, armed with sword and spear, a steel sallet on his head, a leather jack upon his body. He was a great man in these parts— Sir Daniel's right hand in peace and war, and at that time, by his master's interest, 
bailiff of the hundred. "'Clipsby!' he shouted. "'Off to the moat-house, and send all the other laggards the same gate. Bowyer will give you Jack and Sallet. We must ride before curfew. Look to it. He that is last at the lich-gate Sir Daniel shall reward. Look to it right well. I know you for a man of naught. Nance!' he added, to one of the women, "'is old Appleyard uptown.' "'I'll warrant you,' replied the woman. "'In his field, for sure.' So the group dispersed, and while Clipsby walked leisurely over the bridge, Bennet and young Shelton rode up the road together, through the village, and past the church. "'You will see the old shrew,' said Bennet. "'He will waste more time grumbling and prating of Harry the Fifth than would serve a man to shoe a horse.' and all because he has been to the French wars. The house to which they were bound was the last in the village, standing alone among lilacs, and beyond it, on three sides, there was open meadow, rising towards the borders of the wood. Hatch dismounted, threw his rein over the fence, and walked down the field, Dick keeping close at his elbow, to where the old soldier was digging, knee-deep in his cabbages, and now and again, in a cracked voice, singing a snatch of song. He was all dressed in leather, only his hood and tippet were of black frieze and tied with scarlet. His face was like a walnut-shell, both for colour and wrinkles, but his old grey eye was still clear enough, and his sight unabated. Perhaps he was deaf, perhaps he thought it unworthy of an old archer of Agincourt to pay any heed to such disturbances, but neither the surly notes of the alarm-bell, nor the near approach of Bennet and the lad, appeared at all to move him, and he continued obstinately digging, and piped up, very thin and shaky, "'Now, dear lady, if thy will be, I pray that you will rue on me.' "'Nick Appleyard,' said Hatch, "'Sir Oliver commends him to you, and bids that ye should come within this hour to the moat-house, there to take command.' The old fellow looked up. "'Save you, my masters,' he said, grinning. "'And where goeth Master Hatch?' "'Master Hatch is off to Kentley, with every man that we can horse,' returned Bennet. "'There is a fight toward, it seems, and my lord stays a reinforcement.' "'Ay, verily,' returned Appleyard. "'And what will ye leave me to garrison withal?' "'I leave you six good men, and Sir Oliver to boot,' answered Hatch. "'It'll not hold the place,' said Appleyard. "'The number sufficeth not. It would take two score to make it good.' "'Why, it's for that we came to you, old shrew,' replied the other. "'Who else is there but you that could do aught in such a house with such a garrison?' "'Aye, when the pinch comes, ye remember the old shoe.' returned Nick. There is not a man of you can back a horse or hold a bill, and as for archery, St. Michael, if old Harry the Fifth were back again, he would stand and let you shoot at him for a farthing a shoot. Nay, Nick, there's some can draw a good bow yet, said Bennet. Draw a good bow, cried Appleyard. Yes, but who'll shoot me a good shoot? It's there the eye comes in, and the head between your shoulders. Now, what might you call a long shoot, Bennet Hatch? Well, said Bennet, looking about him, it would be a long shoot from here into the forest. 
"'Aye, it would be a longish shoot,' said the old fellow, turning to look over his shoulder, and then he put up his hand over his eyes and stood staring. "'Why, what are you looking at?' asked Bennet with a chuckle. "'Do you see Harry the Fifth? The veteran continued looking up the hill in silence. The sun shone broadly over the shelving meadows, a few white sheep wandered browsing, all was still but the distant jangle of the bell. "'What is it, Appleyard?' asked Dick. "'Why, the birds!' said Appleyard. And, sure enough, over the top of the forest, where it ran down in a tongue among the meadows, and ended in a pair of goodly green elms, about a bowshot from the field where they were standing, a flight of birds was skimming to and fro, in evident disorder. "'What of the birds?' said Bennet. "'Aye,' returned Appleyard, "'you're a wise man to go to war, Master Bennet. Birds are a good sentry. In forest places they be the first line of battle. Look you now, if we lay here in camp, there might be archers skulking down to get the wind of us, and here would you be none the wiser.' "'Why, old shrew,' said Hatch, "'there be no man nearer to us than Sir Daniel's at Ketley.' Ye are as safe as in London Tower, and ye raise scares upon a man for a few chaffinches and sparrows. Hear him, grinned Appleyard. How many a rogue would give his two crop ears to have a shoot at either of us? St. Michael, man, they hate us like two polecats. Well, sooth it is, they hate Sir Daniel, answered Hatch, a little sobered. Aye, they hate Sir Daniel and they hate every man that serves with him," said Appleyard. And in the first order of hating, they hate Bennet Hatch and old Nicholas the Bowman. See ye here, if there was a stout fellow yonder in the wood-edge, and you and I stood fair for him, as by St. George we stand, which, think ye, would he choose? "'You for a good wager,' answered Hatch. "'My surcoat to a leather belt, it would be you!' cried the old archer. "'You burn Grimstone, Bennet. They'll ne'er forgive you that, my master. And as for me, I'll soon be in a good place, God grant, and out of bow-shoot, ay, and cannon-shoot, of all their malices. I am an old man, and draw fast to homeward, where the bed is ready. But for you, Bennet, you are to remain behind here at your own peril, and if you come to my years unhanged—' The old, true-blue English spirit will be dead. "'You are the shrewishest old dolt in Tunstall Forest,' returned Hatch, visibly ruffled by these threats. "'Get you to your arms before Sir Oliver come, and leave prating for one good while. And ye had talked so much with Harry V, his ears would have been richer than his pocket.' An arrow sang in the air, like a huge hornet. It struck old Appleyard between the shoulder-blades, and pierced him clean through, and he fell forward on his face among the cabbages. Hatch, with a broken cry, leaped into the air, then, stooping double, he ran for the cover of the house. And in the meanwhile Dick Shelton had dropped behind a lilac, and had his crossbow bent and shouldered, covering the point of the forest. Not a leaf stirred. The sheep were patiently browsing. The birds had settled. But there lay the old man, with a cloth-yard arrow standing in his back. 
and there were Hatch holding to the gable, and Dick crouching and ready behind the lilac bush. "'Do you see aught?' cried Hatch. "'Not a twig stirs,' said Dick. "'I think shame to leave him lying,' said Bennet, coming forward once more with hesitating steps and a very pale countenance. "'Keep a good eye on the wood, Master Shelton. Keep a clear eye on the wood. The saints a-soil us. Here was a good shoot.' Bennet raised the old archer on his knee. He was not yet dead. His face worked, and his eyes shut and opened like machinery, and he had a most horrible, ugly look of one in pain. "'Can you hear, old Nick?' asked Hatch. "'Have ye a last wish before ye wind, old brother?' "'Pluck out the shaft! Let me pass a Mary's name!' gasped Appleyard. "'I be done with old England! Pluck it out!' "'Master Dick,' said Bennet, "'come hither and pull me a good pull upon the arrow. He would fain pass the poor sinner.' Dick laid down his crossbow, and pulling hard upon the arrow, drew it forth. A gush of blood followed. The old archer scrambled half upon his feet, called once upon the name of God, and then fell dead. Hatch, upon his knees among the cabbages, prayed fervently for the welfare of the passing spirit. But even as he prayed it was plain that his mind was still divided, and he kept ever an eye upon the corner of the wood from which the shot had come. When he had done, he got to his feet again, drew off one of his mailed gauntlets, and wiped his pale face, which was all wet with terror. "'Aye,' he said, "'it'll be my turn next.' "'Who hath done this, Bennet?' Richard asked, still holding the arrow in his hand. "'Nay, the saints know,' said Hatch. "'Here are a good two-score Christian souls that we have hunted out of house and holding, he and I. He has paid his shot, poor shrew, nor will it be long, mayhap, ere I pay mine. Sir Daniel driveth over hard.' "'This is a strange shaft,' said the lad, looking at the arrow in his hand. "'Aye, by my faith!' cried Bennet. "'Black, and black-feathered!' Here is an ill-favoured shaft, by my sooth, for black, they say, bodes burial. And here be words written. Wipe the blood away. What read ye? Appleyard from John Amendall, read Shelton. What should this betoken? Nay, I like it not, returned the retainer, shaking his head. John Amendall! Here is a rogue's name for those that be up in the world. But why stand we here to make a mark? Take him by the knees, good Master Shelton, while I lift him by the shoulders, and let us lay him in his house. This will be a rare shog to poor Sir Oliver. He will turn paper-colour. He will pray like a windmill. They took up the old archer, and carried him between them into his house, where he had dwelt alone, and there they laid him on the floor— out of regard for the mattress, and sought, at best they might, to straighten and compose his limbs. Appleyard's house was clean and bare. There was a bed with a blue cover, a cupboard, a great chest, a pair of joint-stools, a hinged table in the chimney-corner, and hung upon the wall the old soldier's armoury of bows and defensive armour. Hatch began to look about him curiously. "'Nick had money.' he said. He may have had threescore pounds put by. 
I would I could light upon it. When you lose an old friend, Master Richard, the best consolation is to air him. See now this chest. I would go a mighty wager there is a bushel of gold therein. He had a strong hand to get, and a hard hand to keep withal, had Appleyard the archer. Now may God rest his spirit. Near eighty year he was afoot and about, and ever getting, but now he's on the broad of his back, poor shrew, and no more lacketh. And if his chattels come to a good friend, he would be merrier, methinks, in heaven. Come, Hatch, said Dick. Respect his stone-blind eyes. Would you rob the man before his body? Nay, he would walk. Hatch made several signs of the cross. But by this time his natural complexion had returned, and he was not easily to be dashed from any purpose. It would have gone hard with the chest had not the gate sounded, and presently after the door of the house opened and admitted a tall, portly, ruddy, black-eyed man of near fifty, in a surplice and black robe. Appleyard, the newcomer was saying as he entered, but he stopped dead. Ave Maria! he cried. Saints be our shield! What cheer is this? Cold cheer with Appleyard, Sir Parson, answered Hatch with perfect cheerfulness. Shot at his own door, and alighteth even now at purgatory gates. Ay, there, if tales be true, he shall lack neither coal nor candle. Sir Oliver groped his way to a joint stool and sat down upon it, sick and white. This is a judgment! Oh, a great stroke! he sobbed, and rattled off a leash of prayers. Hatch, meanwhile, reverently doffed his sallet, and knelt down. "'Aye, Bennet,' said the priest, somewhat recovering, "'and what may this be? What enemy hath done this?' "'Here, Sir Oliver, is the arrow. See, it is written upon with words,' said Dick. "'Nay,' cried the priest, "'this is a foul hearing. John Amendall!' a right lollardy word, and black of hue as for an omen. Sirs, this knave error likes me not, but it importeth rather to take counsel. Who should this be? Bethink you, Bennet, of so many black ill-willers, which should he be that doth so heartily outface us? Simnel? I do much question it. The Walsinghams? Nay, they are not yet so broken— and they still think to have the law over us when times change. There was Simon Malmesbury, too. How think ye, Bennet? What think ye, sir? returned Hatch. Of Ellis Duckworth. Nay, Bennet, never. Nay, not he, said the priest. There cometh never any rising, Bennet, from below. So all judicious chroniclers concord in their opinion but rebellion travelleth ever downward from above, and when Dick, Tom, and Harry take them to their bills, look ever narrowly to see what lord is profited thereby. Now Sir Daniel, having once more joined him to the Queen's party, is an ill odour with the Yorkist lords. Thence, Bennet, comes the blow, by what procuring I yet seek, but therein lies the nerve of this discomfiture. "'And it please you, Sir Oliver,' said Bennet, "'the axles are so hot in this country that I have long been smelling fire. So did this poor sinner, Appleyard. 
and, by your leave, men's spirits are so foully inclined to all of us, that it needs neither York nor Lancaster to spur them on. Hear my plain thoughts. You, that are a clerk, and Sir Daniel, it sails on any wind. Ye have taken many men's goods, and beaten and hanged not a few. Ye are called to count for this. In the end, I wot not how, ye have ever the uppermost at law, and ye think all patched. But give me leave, Sir Oliver. The man that ye have dispossessed and beaten is but the angrier. And some day, when the black devil is by, he will up with his bow and clout me a yard of arrow through your inwards. Nay, Bennet, ye are in the wrong. Bennet, ye should be glad to be corrected, said Sir Oliver. Ye are a prater, Bennet, a talker, a babbler. Your mouth is wider than your two ears. Mend it, Bennet, mend it. Nay, I say no more. Have it as ye list, said the retainer. The priest now rose from the stool, and from the writing-case that hung about his neck took forth wax and a taper, and a flint and steel. With these he sealed up the chest and the cupboard with Sir Daniel's arms, Hatch looking on disconsolate, and then the whole party proceeded, somewhat timorously, to sally from the house and get to horse. "'Tis time we were on the road, Sir Oliver,' said Hatch, as he held the priest's stirrup while he mounted. "'Aye, but, Bennet, things are changed,' returned the parson. "'There is now no apple-yard, rest his soul, to keep the garrison. I shall keep you, Bennet. I must have a good man to rest me on in this day of black arrows. The arrow that flieth by day, saith the evangel. I have no mind of the context.' nay i am a sluggard priest i am too deep in men's affairs well let us ride forth master hatch the jackman should be at the church by now so they rode forward down the road with a wind after them blowing the tails of the parson's cloak and behind them as they went clouds began to arise and blot out the sinking sun they had passed three of the scattered houses that make up tunstall hamlet when, coming to a turn, they saw the church before them. Ten or a dozen houses clustered immediately round it, but to the back the churchyard was next the meadows. At the lich-gate near a score of men were gathered, some in the saddle, some standing by their horses' heads. They were variously armed and mounted, some with spears, some with bills, some with bows, and some bestriding plough-horses still splashed with the mire of the furrow for these were the very dregs of the country, and all the better men and the fair equipments were already with Sir Daniel in the field. "'We have not done amiss, praise be the cross of Holywood. Sir Daniel will be right well content,' observed the priest, inwardly numbering the troop. "'Who goes? Stand, if ye be true!' shouted Bennet. A man was seen slipping through the churchyard among the ewes, and at the sound of this summons he discarded all concealment, and fairly took to his heels for the forest. The men at the gate, who had been hitherto unaware of the stranger's presence, woke and scattered. Those who had dismounted began scrambling into the saddle. The rest rode in pursuit, but they had to make the circuit of the consecrated ground, and it was plain their quarry would escape them. Hatch, roaring an oath, put his horse at the hedge to head him off, but the beast refused and sent his rider sprawling in the dust. And though he was up again in a moment, and had caught the bridle, 
the time had gone by and the fugitive had gained too great a lead for any hope of capture. The wisest of all had been Dick Shelton. Instead of starting in a vain pursuit, he had whipped his crossbow from his back, bent it, and set a quarrel to the string. And now, when the others had desisted, he turned to Bennet and asked if he should shoot. "'Shoot! Shoot!' cried the priest with sanguinary violence. "'Cover him, Master Dick,' said Bennet. "'Bring me him down like a ripe apple.' The fugitive was now within but a few leaps of safety, but this last part of the meadow ran very steeply uphill, and the man ran slower in proportion. What with the greyness of the falling night and the uneven movements of the runner, it was no easy aim, and as Dick levelled his bow, he felt a kind of pity and a half-desire that he might miss. The quarrel sped. The man stumbled and fell, and a great cheer arose from Hatch and the pursuers. But they were counting their corn before the harvest. The man fell lightly. He was lightly afoot again turned and waved his cap in a bravado, and was out of sight next moment in the margin of the wood. "'And the plague go with him!' cried Bennet. "'He has thieves' heels. He can run by St. Bantbury. But you touched him, Master Shelton. He has stolen your quarrel. May he never have good. I grudge him less.' "'Nay, but what made he by the church?' asked Sir Oliver. "'I am shrewdly afeard there has been mischief here.' Clipsby, good fellow, get you down from your horse, and search thoroughly among the ewes. Clipsby was gone but a little while ere he returned, carrying a paper. "'This writing was pinned to the church door,' he said, handing it to the parson. "'I found naught else, Sir Parson.' "'Now, by the power of Mother Church,' cried Sir Oliver, "'but this runs hard on sacrilege.' For the king's good pleasure, or the lord of the manor, well! But that every run the hedge in a green jerkin should fasten papers to the chancel door, nay, it runs hard on sacrilege, hard! And men have burned for matters of less weight. But what have we here? The light falls apace. Good Master Richard, you have young eyes. Read me, I pray, this libel. Dick Shelton took the paper in his hand, and read it aloud. It contained some lines of very rugged doggerel, hardly even rhyming, written in a gross character, and most uncouthly spelt. With the spelling somewhat bettered, this is how they ran. I had four black arrows under my belt, four for the griefs that I have felt, four for the number of ill men that have oppressed me now and then. One is gone one is well sped. Old Appleyard is dead. One is for Maester Bennet Hatch, that burned Grimstone, Walls and Thatch. One for Sir Oliver Oates, that cut Sir Harry Shelton's throat. Sir Daniel, ye shall have the fourth. We shall think it fair sport. You shall each have your own part, a black arrow in each black heart. Get you to your knees for to pray." You are dead thieves by yea and nay. Signed, John Amendall of the Greenwood and his jolly fellowship. Item, we have more arrows and good hempen cord for others of your following. Now, well a day for charity and the Christian graces, cried Sir Oliver lamentably. Sirs, this is an ill world and groweth daily worse. 
I will swear upon the cross of Holywood I am as innocent of that good knight's hurt, whether in act or purpose, as the babe unchristened. Neither was his throat cut, for therein they are again in error, as there still live credible witnesses to show. "'It boots not, Sir Parson,' said Bennet. "'Here is unseasonable talk.' "'Nay, Master Bennet, not so. Keep ye in your due place, good Bennet.' answered the priest. I shall make mine innocence appear. I will, upon no consideration, lose my poor life in error. I take all men to witness that I am clear of this matter. I was not even in the moat-house. I was sent of an errand before nine upon the clock. Sir Oliver, said Hatch, interrupting, since it please you not to stop this sermon, I will take other means. Goff, sound to horse." and while the tucket was sounding, Bennet moved close to the bewildered parson, and whispered violently in his ear. Dick Shelton saw the priest's eye turned upon him for an instant in a startled glance. He had some cause for thought, for this Sir Harry Shelton was his own natural father. But he said never a word, and kept his countenance unmoved. Hatch and Sir Oliver discussed together for a while their altered situation. Ten men, it was decided between them, should be reserved, not only to garrison the moat-house, but to escort the priests across the wood. In the meantime, as Bennet was to remain behind, the command of the reinforcement was given to Master Shelton. Indeed, there was no choice. The men were loutish fellows, dull and unskilled in war, while Dick was not only popular, but resolute and grave beyond his age. Although his youth had been spent in these rough country places, the lad had been well taught in letters by Sir Oliver, and Hatch himself had shown him the management of arms and the first principles of command. Bennet had always been kind and helpful. He was one of those who are cruel as the grave to those they call their enemies, but ruggedly faithful and well-willing to their friends. And now, while Sir Oliver entered the next house to write, in his swift, exquisite penmanship, a memorandum of the last occurrences to his master, Sir Daniel Brackley, Bennet came up to his pupil to wish him Godspeed upon his enterprise. "'You must go the long way about, Master Shelton,' he said. "'Round by the bridge for your life. Keep a sure man fifty paces afore you to draw shots, and go softly till you are past the wood.' If the rogues fall upon you, ride for it. You will do naught by standing. And keep ever forward, Master Shelton. Turn me not back again, and you love your life. There is no help in Tunstall, mind you that. And now, since you go to the great wars about the king, and I continue to dwell here in extreme jeopardy of my life, and the saints alone can certify if we shall meet again below, I give you my last counsels now at your writing. Keep an eye on Sir Daniel. He is unsure. Put not your trust in the jack-priest. He intendeth not amiss, but doth the will of others. It is a handgun for Sir Daniel. Get your good lordship where you go. Make you strong friends. Look to it. And think ever a paternoster while on Bennet Hatch. There are worse rogues afoot than Bennet. So, God speed. And heaven be with you, Bennet returned Dick. You were a good friend to me, Ward, and so I shall say ever. And look ye, master, 
added Hatch, with a certain embarrassment. "'If this amendall should get a shaft into me, you might, mayhap, lay out a gold mark, or mayhap a pound for my poor soul, for it is like to go stiff with me in purgatory.' "'You shall have your will of it, Bennet,' answered Dick. "'But what cheer, man! We shall meet again, where you shall have more need of ale than masses.' "'The saint so grant it, Master Dick,' returned the other. "'But here comes Sir Oliver, and he were as quick with the longbow as with the pen. He would be a brave man-at-arms.' Sir Oliver gave Dick a sealed packet with this superscription. To my right worshipful master, Sir Daniel Brackley, knight, be this delivered in haste. And Dick, putting it in the bosom of his jacket, gave the word and set forth westward up the village. End of prologue. This recording is in the public domain.